0: Good morning. I think Emily proved that beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? Uh, I'm kind of partial to that guy that plays the play, was playing the bass today. He reminds me of someone I know. Two people, that is. So this morning we're in Ruth chapter 3. And so glad the fans are on, the air condition's working, because it might get a little hot in here. Ruth chapter 3. Uh, if you've read it, you know what I'm talking about. I didn't have someone read the passage b- beforehand because I was afraid people would leave and would go, what's going on here? No, I didn't do it for two reasons. First, because you know I asked you, you to read the book once a week, so everybody's read Ruth chapter 3 at least three times now, right? And second, I want us to go through this, verse, this passage, this chapter, verse by verse. A little different. The uh, first two is sort of theme by theme. This, we're going to go verse by verse. We're going to walk... Through it and try to experience the events as they happen. Because in chapter 3, we come to the heart of this love story between Ruth and Boaz. And in the midst of this man woman love story, we're also, I believe, given a picture a picture of God's love for his people. Have you ever struggled just with the idea that, that God loves you? That. He's your heavenly Father and He cares about you. Have you struggled with that? I know, I know I certainly have. Do you feel that God is more like the judge? He's just up there tallying up points, seeing if you're doing the right thing more than a loving heavenly Father. Well, this morning it's my prayer that as we examine Ruth chapter 3, that we'll may, maybe even for the first time or maybe in a new way begin to understand this amazing, this loving kindness that our God has for his people. So that's what we're gonna do. But before we get to chapter three, we need a quick review of chapters one and two. In chapter one, the story begins with a lot of suffering, if you remember. There's a ton of suffering, especially in the life of a woman named Naomi, Ruth's mother in law. First, she faced famine in Judah. Then her husband Elimelech died in Moab. Then her two sons died after they were married to Moabite women. One blow, one tragedy after another comes to Naomi's life. And she concludes in Ruth chapter 1, verse 13, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. But, but we've seen that even in the midst of tragedy, God is showing His loving kindness He shows it by giving her a daughter in law named Ruth. Ruth, in a great act of love, commits to Naomi, and he commits to Naomi's God. In verse 16 of chapter 1, Ruth says, Do not urge me to. Naomi's trying to get her to leave. She's hopeless. There's nothing for you if you stay with me. Ruth says, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Ruth is willing to leave her homeland, her people, and follow after Naomi. Follow after Naomi's God. So at the end of chapter 1, when the famine is lifted in Judah, remember they left Judah, Naomi and her family, because of famine. The famine is now lifted, and and Ruth and Naomi return to Bethlehem in Judah at the end of chapter 1. And that leads to chapter 2, where we're introduced to a a God-centered man. A God-saturated man, we called him last week. A man named Boaz. Boaz is going to, does, has in the past, and we saw it, become a a conduit of of grace to Naomi and Ruth. Ruth and Naomi are in great need. What do they need? They really need two things. As chapter 2 begins, they need two things. They need food, and they need a family. And God, in His grace, uses Boaz to meet both of those needs. First, the food. That's what chapter 2 is about, meeting that need of the food. Ruth goes out into the barley fields to glean, to gather up the leftovers. And it just happened, we talked about this last week, it just so happened she went to Boaz's field. And Boaz just happened to be going by at the time when Ruth was gleaning. And the rest is what dreams are made of. Boaz promises to protect and provide for Ruth and Naomi. And so Ruth is so overwhelmed with Boaz's kindness to her that she asks, she asks him, why? Why are you doing this? Verse 2, why are you doing this to me, a, a woman from Moab? I'm not even a, one of your people. Verse, verse 16 of chapter 2, the Lord repay you for what you have done. This is Boaz's answer, sorry. Boaz's answer to the question Ruth asks of Why? The Lord will pay you for what you've done. And he's speaking of what he's done in in her commitment to Naomi. And a full reward be given to the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. We talked about this last week. Ruth, through Boaz, received the the grace of God in chapter 2 because she had taken refuge under the wings of God In chapter one. Remember, she said, Your God will be my God. She embraced the true God. God rewards for faith for service, God's rewards for faithful service come to those who place their trust in Him, who run to Him for His protection. Ruth finds. So after her encounter with Boaz and a full day's work, Ruth returns home to her mother-in-law, to Naomi, and and Naomi is, is excited. She sees God at work. She has hope. She was hopeless, and now she has hope. Their need for food is, is being taken care of. Sorry. And when Ruth tells her that, that who the food came from, that the food came from this, this guy named Boaz, Naomi says that he's from the same clan as her dead husband, Elimelech. And this means that Boaz is not only meeting the need for food, that he is qualified to meet their second need, that need for family. And that's what we find in chapter 3. Chapter 3 begins, however, with a, a little a plan. I'm, I'm calling it Naomi's problematic plan. Some time has passed between chapters 2 and 3, not sure how long. But in verse 1 of chapter 3, we read, then Naomi Ruth's mother-in-law said to her, My daughter, seek rest for you, that it may be well with you. Am I cutting in and out here? Is there anything I can do, Dan? Okay, sounds good to Dan. Dan's deaf, okay. We have a deaf sound. Sorry. You know, did, did you guys see those pictures on Facebook of Dan and Don working on these lights with that big giant ladder? Let's give them a hand, yay. Thanks, guys. Dan said it was Don the fireman who was able to go up there. He's been trained for these things, so he's retired in some ways, but not in others. Thanks. What are we talking about? Ruth, yes. She says to him, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? And so if you don't know, that's Hebrew for, Hebrew for you know, girl, you're working too hard. You need to find a man. You need to find a husband. So here's the plan. Verse 2. Naomi speaking. Is not Boaz a relative with whose women you you were with whose young women you were? So Ruth goes out every day gleaning with the other young women into Boaz's field. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Ooh, he's winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Boaz is a relative. He's the a kinsman which means that he is an eligible bachelor. He's eligible to marry Ruth and to redeem Ruth and to, and to take care of this family issue. And tonight, Naomi says, he's going to be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Nice. So what's, what's winnowing barley? Now, fortunately for you, my wife's from Nebraska, so I've taken Farming 101, and so I know about this winnowing. And I have a picture, so a picture sort of worth... A Thousand Words, as the barley has been harvested, gathered up, they would find a secluded area that would have an evening breeze, so a, a, a place where a, they knew a breeze would be coming through. And they would take their pitchforks and they would toss the, the barley up into the air and the breeze would separate. The, the lighter chaff would blow away and the heavier barley would come to rest and then they would gather that up. That would, that's what winnowing barley is. And Naomi knows that Boaz is going to be winnowing that evening. Up until that point, Boaz had just been out in the field harvesting. Ruth couldn't just go up to him in the middle of the day and say, Hey, have you ever thought of marrying me? But now Naomi sees an opportunity. So she says to Ruth in verse 3, Wash therefore, anoint, not anoint, sort of perfume up yourself, make yourself smell good put on your cloak or the NIV says your best clothes this is not Naomi saying uh, you're never going to get a man if you smell like that girl you need to get some perfume on it, it's deeper than that remember Ruth is a widow her her, her her husband Naomi's son has died and so she's been in mourning the perfume and the clothes are to show that Ruth is now coming out of mourning she's now eligible for marriage. The plan continues. Naomi says, go down to the threshing floor, smelling good, but do not make yourself known to the man until he is eating and drinking. He's finished eating and drinking because men are in their best moods when they've finished eating and drinking. All right. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Wow, that's an interesting plan. You see any problem here? I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I'm told, I've read. If you're reading this in the original language, you would be blushing right now. It's full of sexual innuendo. Ruth, you're going to hide out. You know, go into the... Find a place to hide so nobody can see you. Watch Boaz as he eats and drinks, wait till he's finished, then when he lies down and falls asleep, here's what you're going to do. First, observe the place where he lies. You know, you don't want to go lie next to the wrong guy. Pick him out, because it's going to be getting dark, so as, the, as it gets dark, he's going to go lie down, figure out where he's at. You don't want to be lying to the wrong guy. That could be bad. Then, go and uncover his feet and lie down. There are three words in Hebrew... That are filled with sexual overtones here, again, I'm told. Uncover, feet, and lie down. I mean, that, they're pretty overtones here in English, even, right, right? What is Naomi saying? The effect of these words in the original language is, is really to send the reader's head spinning. What's going on here? I thought, I mean, they know of Ruth, they know she has a positive impact, but what's happening here? Uncover his feet, lie down and then do whatever he says. Okay. Was Naomi suggesting some, some kind of immoral encounter take place? Was Naomi suggesting that Ruth seduce Boaz, trap him? The, lang- the language isn't clear. I don't think she actually was, but the language isn't clear. But what is clear, it, that it, this whole thing wasn't right. It wasn't proper that a Moabite woman worker in a field is not supposed to lie down in the middle of the night next to the owner of the field, an Israelite owner of the field. Clearly, Naomi's plan had some problems. But as we'll see, Ruth implements the plan really in her her own way. And that's the second point as we walk through the passage. Ruth's improvisational, I said the word, nice, improvisational implementation In verses 5 and 6, Ruth, ever humble, remember Ruth is humble, she's dedicated to Naomi and she responds to Naomi's plan. She replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. So everything Naomi said, she did. So that's sort of an overarching statement. Now we're going to look at beginning in verse 7. So what happens? What did that look like? And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, remember he's in a good mood, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. So, he, so there's a, probably more than one, but heaps of grain, and he goes down to the very far end. So he's, he's at the end where, where uh, there's other people around, but he's sort of secluded off, which is probably in God's sovereign plan as well. Now, ladies, put yourself in Ruth's shoes at this point. Just think about what she's doing. You're hiding out in some kind of little crevice. Nobody's noticed you. Apparently her perfume wasn't that strong. And you're watching Boaz. You've been watching your man winnow. You know? And your anticipation is growing. You can almost hear Ruth's heartbeat. Or you can hear that me smack the mic, one of the two. You've been watching him, and when she comes, when, when the time comes, she walks over. He walks over to the end of the heap and goes to sleep. Then in verse 7 says, Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Again, the Hebrew and the English even is painting a somewhat provocative picture. The scene is charged. It's intense. Ruth's laying there next to him. Then verse 8 says, At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Hmm, that's interesting. Now guys, put yourself in Boaz's shoes. It's midnight, had a hard day's work, you've, you're fast asleep, and something startles you. You're, you're startled away. Maybe it's the breeze across your bare feet. Maybe it's this perfumey smell enters into your, your nostrils. And so Boaz, who's startled, he, he rolls over. He opens his eyes, and there's a woman at his feet. And Boaz says what any man will, would say at that point, "Who are you? Who are you?" Boaz is sleeping his eyes, he's probably rubbing his eyes, he's got morning breath, he's waking up, or midnight breath, whatever that is, he's waking up, he doesn't know what's going on, he sees this woman lying his feet, and he says, I don't know his tone, who are you? Who are you? You know, whatever, it's, it's kind of funny, this is kind of a romantic comic. It turned into a romantic comedy, the Ruth and Boaz story. Ruth responds, and, and this is where she has no instructions from Naomi. Naomi just said, Well, do whatever he says. Well, he's asking me a question. Naomi has said, uh, Do what he tells you. But in verse 9, Ruth tells or asks him what to do. She, Ruth sort of takes charge. I am your servant, Ruth. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Simply put, Ruth says, I want to pursue you in marriage. I'm your servant, I'm available. She's not saying in in chapter 2, I believe, she said I'm your slave. It's translated servant, but there's two different words in the Hebrew. She's, I'm your slave, sort of on the low rung. Now she's saying I'm a servant. I'm prepared to be in relationship with you. You can tell me if that's something you want. I'm your servant, so redeem me. Marry me. This is uh, pretty forward, to say the least. Now, now, before I asked my wife to marry me, I had, had gotten, I was pretty sure that she was going to say yes. I was pretty clear that she wanted me to ask her to marry her. I mean, can you blame her? Just kidding. I mean, she was only, she was 20, 20, we got married 20, she was 20 years old, so can you blame her for, you know, not really seeing what the thing was? Uh, but She waited. She was patient and she waited until I asked the question. And this was 1984. You know, women's, there was some women's lib thing and so, she, but she still waited. But not Ruth. She says, spread your wings over your servant. The phrase is basically something uh, uh, only a husband would do for his wife to protect and to care for her. She asks him, protect me, care for me. Ruth is clearly thinking of Boaz's statement back in chapter 2 verse 12. Remember when Boaz says to Ruth, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So Boaz recognizes that Ruth is taking refuge under the wings of God. And now Ruth is saying, hey Boaz, you remember that prayer you prayed for me back in chapter 2? That the Lord would spread his protection over me? Well, now it's time for you to answer that prayer. You are the provision of God in my life. You spread your protection over me since you're a kinsman redeemer. This is is more than Naomi had said. She's stepping out here. She's really taking a crazy risk, if you're thinking about it. She's a Moabite woman proposing to an Israelite man. She's a worker in the field proposing to the owner of the field. She's a younger person. She's quite a bit younger than Boaz, most commentators believe, and it says in the text... She's a younger person proposing to an older person. Not to mention, she's a woman proposing to a man. This is breaking all the rules. And how is Boaz going to respond? He could scold her. What are, you, what are you doing? You're doing this all wrong. This is not the way this should go. Go back home, and I'll think about it. I'll wait and just wait. He could take advantage of her. Remember, this is the time of the Judges. If you've read the book of Judges, this is not a good time. This is a period where sexual immorality is rampant, where everybody does what's right in their own eyes. But he neither scolds her or takes advantage of her. Instead, his response is a righteous one. And that's our third point, Boaz's righteous response. Remember, he's a God-centered, he's a God-focused, he's a God-saturated man. And he says, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. He uses the affectionate term for her, my daughter. And then he refers to two kindnesses that Ruth has showed him. For The first kindness was that Ruth took care of his relative, Naomi. And the second kindness was that she had not gone after younger men. And in verse 11, he responds to her kindness to him. And he says, and now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. Yes. He responds, yes. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Caring, hardworking, humble Ruth has gained a reputation as a, a worthy woman. We don't have time to look at it this morning, but... But but many see Ruth as as an illustration of Proverbs chapter 31. If you, uh, in our Bible, uh, Ruth is closer to the beginning. In the Hebrew Bible, in in the historical part, in the Hebrew Bible, it comes right after Proverbs. So you read Proverbs 31, which if you know, it's like this portrait of a, a wonderful woman. It's a portrait of my wife. I'll just say it. And then you read Ruth. So Ruth is sort of this illustration of Proverbs 31. So take time, if you can, to read Proverbs 31, along with reading Ruth again this week. So Boaz gives a very positive response to Ruth's proposal. I'll do it. I'll do what you ask. We can, we can just hear the wedding bells in the background. Go into the chapel. Apple. Yeah. Sorry old song. It seems like it's a done deal. And they lived happily ever after until verse 12. And Boaz says, and now it's true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. we were just getting to where we thought it was coming to an end. Okay, everything was going well. And then another guy steps into the picture. Boaz says, there's another man and he's a closer kin he has uh, he's a closer kinship to you therefore he has the first right to redeem you to marry you to take you under his protection so boaz says remain tonight and in the morning if he will redeem you good let him do it but if he is not willing to redeem you then as the lord lives i will redeem you lie down until the morning this really shows the the righteous character of boaz he's he clearly wants to Mary Ruth, remember the thank you so, for your kindness. Not going after younger men, you're 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 offering yourself to me. He sees it as a kindness. He wants to marry Ruth. He wants to be a redeemer. He wants to protect her. He's already shown that in in, in the in the field in, with the with the farming, and he knows. That, but he also knows that he must respect the law. Now that night. I can't imagine either one of them slept much. Boaz is thinking about going into town and declaring his desire to be married to this Moabite woman. What will, what will people think? And how will this other guy respond? What's he going to say? Will he jump at the chance? Am I going to lose Ruth? And Ruth must be thinking about the fact in the, in the next 24 hours or so, she's going to find out who her husband's going to be. She'd love it to be Boaz. But it could be this other guy. It doesn't really say much about this other guy, who he is. And so it says, verse 14, so she, so she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. boys didn't want to hurt Ruth's reputation, so he had her leave before she could be recognized, before people could see one another's faces, before it was light. But before she left, he said this, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So picture this, there's stacks of this barley and she's got this garment. And bring this garment and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. We don't know exactly how much six measures of barley are. It doesn't give a specific amount. Some have said that it's maybe up to 75 pounds of barley, more barley than she's ever seen, or had before. Well, had before. And we know it's heavy because the word literally means he hoisted it on her. This is where we're reminded that Ruth is a hardworking, tough woman. You don't mess with Ruth. She can tote barley. And so Ruth, with excitement and expectation in her heart, heads back to Naomi. And she heads back to Naomi, and we're going to see Naomi's emptiness is erased. Naomi must... Must have been waited with, waiting there with uh, great anticipation with bated breath. What, what's going on? What's happening? She didn't have, there was no text messaging back then. She wasn't getting periodic updates of what's going on. Okay, he looks good winnowing and all that. Ruth doesn't have a Facebook page. Naomi's not checking to see if she's updated her status. So when Ru- Ruth returns, Naomi asks in verse 16, "'How did you fare, my daughter?' Literally, she says, the literal meaning is, who are you, my daughter? Naomi is asking if Ruth is going, who are you going to be? Who are you? Are you going to be Boaz's wife or not? She wants a status update. She wants a relationship report. And Ruth responds. Then she, Ruth, told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave me, for he said to me, you must not... Go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. When Boaz gave Ruth the grain in verse 15, which we just read, he tells her why he's doing it. But the author doesn't reveal that, what Boaz said to Ruth, until Ruth returns to Naomi. In verse 17, Boaz had said... You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Now, why would, why would this be important? Why is this a big deal? Have we heard this word empty before in the book of Ruth? It should take us immediately, remind us of, of chapter 1, verse 21. When Naomi came back from Moab with Ruth, and she said to the people who were asking her about it, and she said, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. The author gives a a picture of Ruth coming back from Boaz, not with just grain, but with a promise that the family would be redeemed. The food need has been met. The family need is going to be met. And the message is, Naomi, you're not empty. Your emptiness has been erased by God. This is a reminder of of what the message of the book of Ruth was. We talked about this in chapter 1. Remember, John Piper's words, I think the main message of Ruth is that when you think God is farthest from you or has even turned against you, the truth is that he's laying foundation stones for greater happiness in your life. We'll see even more of this in chapter 4. When it seems like nothing is working out, nothing's working like it's supposed to, nothing's going right, that's, the, that's Naomi at the end of Ruth chapter 1. She's standing there with Ruth by her side, telling her friends, I've got got nothing. I'm hopeless. I have nothing to offer. I'm member Mara, bitter, not Naomi, sweetness. But little does she know the happiness of God, the happiness that God has in store for her, the, the new life in many ways that God has in store for her. And that leads Naomi to respond in verse 18. She says, wait, my daughter, until you learn... How the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. In other words, sit tight. Today's going to be the day. He's going to take care of it. He's not going to postpone this. And then chapter 3 comes to a dramatic end. This is the the last time we'll hear from Ruth or Naomi. We'll we'll see their names in chapter 4, but they don't speak again in this book. The curtain closes on these two women. These two women who were in great need, but whose needs are being met. And they're sitting at home, and they're waiting. In chapter 4, Boaz is going to take center stage. But the reality is, things are not in Boaz's hands. They're not in Ruth's hands, and they're not in Naomi's hands. Things are now and have always been in the hands of a sovereign God, the Lord who's been and continues to work for His glory and for the good of His people. It's a good story, isn't it? Some romance, some drama, some mystery, a little comedy. It's also a historical story. It gives us a glimpse into the lives of people living in difficult times. It gives us examples of godliness to follow and difficult times. But you know, I think it's more than a good story. It's more than just historical. I think it's a picture for us. And I think it's a picture of God's loving kindness. And so I want to just take a few minutes here at the end and and walk through just how the book of Ruth, especially here in chapter three, pictures the loving kindness of God. Now, interestingly enough, that word love only occurs once in the book of Ruth. It occurs in chapter 4. So how can I say that Ruth is a picture of God's loving kindness? I think for two reasons. One, we see throughout the book specific actions of love. Specifically, Ruth's actions in caring for and, 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 and humbling herself before and working hard for her mother-in-law. And Boaz's action of providing and protecting and, and, and loving for Ruth, loving Ruth. So first, we see acts of love throughout the book. And second, even though our English word love isn't used or even the specific Hebrew word except for once in chapter 4, there is a Hebrew word that's used several times that actually means more than the word love. And that word is is the Hebrew hesed. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but I think that's how it's said. And it's translated in Ruth, kindly or kindness. Kindness. It's used of God's kindness to Ruth and Naomi. It's used of Ruth's kindness to Boaz. We saw he he said, "I can't believe you're being this kind to me twice." And even though we translate hesed as kindness in our English Bibles, there really isn't a compatible word. If you've ever learned it, if you're bilingual, you know there are words that just don't have a, especially a single translation into another language, and that's true for this word "hesed," It really incorporates not just love, but kindness and, and loyalty and faithfulness and grace and mercy, compassion. It's all wrapped up in this, in this one word. Probably the best translation using different English, it's translated different ways in our English Bibles, probably the best is, is loving kindness. And that's still not enough. And the more, majority of the times when it's used in the Old Testament, it's used of God's love towards his people. It's a divine love. It's kind of of like if you think about agape love in the New Testament. This is the uh, somewhat equivalent kind of love in the Old Testament. It's not a man-created love. It's a love that flows from God toward his people. And that's most of the times that it's used. It's talking about God's Hesed for his chosen people. But we also see it, and we see it here in the book of Ruth, used to describe how God's people love others, how God's people love with God's love. In Ruth, we see hesed pictured over and over again in in practical ways. And I just want to focus on three ways, three ways that I believe the story of Ruth pictures this hesed, this loving kindness of God. There are probably more than three, but I'm just going to focus on these. First, the book of Ruth pictures that God's loving kindness protects. God's loving kindness protects. Ruth is about protection. Get the image of the, the bird spreading his wings and drawing in its... The, the, are those, what are baby birds called? Chicks? Or is that just chick? What are, duckling? I don't know what they're called. The little baby birds, drawing them in to protect them. Ruth wants to pre- protect Naomi. Naomi wants to protect Ruth from a, a life of widowhood. Even in, even in her hopelessness, she didn't want Ruth to come with her, not because she didn't care for Ruth, because she thought there was no hope. She wanted to protect her from that life. You need to find a husband. Even in the beginning of chapter three, she's seeking to protect Ruth by having her go and find a husband. When, When Ruth starts speaking in verse nine, she says, "Spread your to Boaz." She says, "Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer." And reality is, Ruth isn't just looking for a husband for herself. She's looking for someone to care for and protect and provide for Naomi as well. She's looking for a redeemer who can care for and protect her family. Boaz is obviously being requested to protect Ruth. And Boaz, in this story, looks out for her best interests. In love, in Hesed. under God, he chooses to protect her. He chose to protect her in her field, and now he's saying, I will make sure that you are protected, you are redeemed. So first, in, all, all, in God and in all three characters, we get these pictures of protecting love. The second picture is that God's loving kindness is pure. It's pure. This Hesed is pure love. I want you to see the purity in Ruth chapter 3, even though it's charged with sexual tension and provocativity, if that's a word. It's pure. We, we need again to rem- remember that this story takes place in a sexually immoral time where everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And to, to see this scene of a man and woman in a secluded area at a threshing floor laying Next to each other. And for both of them to walk away pure. Not giving in to temptation. The author intentionally, I think, uses this highly charged language so we see when they remain pure. This is a contrast to the lack of purity in that day and in our day. Let's be honest. Today is very similar to the time of the judges, isn't it? Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. There's rampant sexual immorality. But Ruth 3 tells us that there's another way. There's another option. You know, as you watch TV shows, especially these sitcoms, it it just seems like the normal thing. There is, we we don't think there's another option. I just feel very, uh, for my kids who are growing up at this time, I feel very bad for them. In many ways, it just doesn't look like looks like that's the thing you do. But there is another way, and Ruth presents this other way, and it's God's way. It's a way of purity and holiness. This is God's love. It's pure. It's love. It's it's a love for God that springs forth in a true love for one another. It's not just a lust that pursues its own needs. So, second, Ruth pictures God's pure love. And third, it pictures that God's loving kindness provides. Again, all the characters here are showing provision for one another. God provides for Boaz, and Boaz provides for Ruth, and Ruth provides for Naomi. When one person is, is blessed, they in turn bless someone else. They're following the call that God gave to Abraham that you would be blessed to be a blessing. Why? Because of the hesed, the loving kindness that flows down from God into the lives of men and women. They go, about, they go, they go above and beyond to provide for each other. So that's just a, a brief picture of God's loving kindness in Ruth. We need, to, we need to let that soak into our hearts. This is who God is. This is who God is. He's being, he's being pictured here. Consider this. The God of the universe the creator of all the creator of you and i the one who's sovereign in control of all things he has hesed for you for me he's the one who vows to protect you the god of the universe offers to spread his wings over you to draw you in to gather you in he in love will give you be your refuge he'll be your fortress and His love is pure, it's undefiled, it's untainted, it is, it is holy, and it always is seeking for your best in every situation, even when it doesn't feel that way, even when things don't seem to be going the way you want them to go, and often they're not going the way you want them to go because He has your best interests in heart, at heart, and you don't know what your best interests are. And His love will provide for you he will meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus it was god's love john said that motivated him to send his only begotten son for god so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that's that hesed loved his, his son came to the earth his son lived this pure sinless life son died in our place he died in our place that we might be protected from the wrath, from the judgment of God. That we might be provided with eternal life. You see that? God's love protected us from His own wrath in Christ Jesus. And God's love provides for us eternal life in Christ Jesus. That's the Gospel. The Gospel message that God's pure love reaches out to protect and provide to all those that will receive Him, to all those that will trust Him, to all those that will take refuge under His wings. And so this morning, I I think our application is, is simple. God's inviting you to receive His love, His loving kindness that He offers. If you're not a Christian, then for the first time, I would call on you to open your heart the God who loves you supremely, who loves you purely, who loves you enough to provide and protect you in Christ Jesus. Open your heart to to His love and He will enter in and He will begin to work and to move and to transform your life with His great sovereign power. For Christians, I would invite you to also embrace the love that God offers you. It's not a one-time offer. It's a continual offer. Behold, I stand at the door and knock Is to Christians. Come in and sup with me and experience love with me. Maybe you're, maybe you're like that The church in Ephesus in the book of Revelations. Remember what was wrong with them? They had lost their first love. They had forsaken, they had forgotten the love of God, God's loving kindness. And the Apostle John counsels them. He says, remember therefore from where you have fallen. I would call you to remember The pure and the providing, the protecting love that God has once that God that you've once experienced. I challenge you to open your hearts to receive that love again, even and especially if you're experiencing suffering and difficulty and pain and emptiness in your life. Because the God of the universe, the God who is writing the story on your hearts, knows exactly. How's it, how it's going to end. And He has your best interest at heart. And the thing is, we can't see right now. He sees. You know, He only requires one thing of us. You know what that is? Faith. Trust. And if, and if we could see, we wouldn't, He wouldn't even require that. He's requiring us to trust in His love. To trust in His chesed. To come to Him and say... I don't know what's going on here. I don't see. I don't see what you're going to do, but I trust you. The things you may not know right now, he knows. And he's guiding your life with great and enduring loving kindness. I'm going to pray, and Chad, Chad's going to lead us in, in two songs. I would again invite you, if you'd like to receive prayer as we sing, we're going to continue to, this is going to be a normal thing for us. We started last week. We're going to have some people at the back, and we're going to sing two songs to close. And if, and if you would like to sit and worship, if there are people around you you'd like to pray with, or if you'd just like to go to the back and, and pray with one of our prayer team in the back of the church, I would invite you to do that. To receive prayer as we, as we sing, as we worship together, to go to the back, there are people that would love to pray with you, people who would love to help you. In prayer to experience this Hesed, this loving kindness of God. So pray with me this morning. Father God, thank you for this, this day. And thank you for your eternal, immeasurable love, that loving kindness, that Hesed that you offer us, that you seek to give us. Lord, help us to open our hearts. Lord, you do not force yourselves upon, yourself upon us. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, give us the desire, the will, the ability, the strength to allow your love to come in, to allow your love to transform our lives, to allow your love to save us, to allow your love to transform us. In Christ's name, amen. Stay with us as we worship.